Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Now before, how many of you have never heard me preach before? Please raise your hand, okay, because there's a lot of you. My, my sermons come with disclaimers, because um, you will laugh. I promise you, you will laugh. Somebody last night said I didn't know whether I was hearing a sermon or a stand-up, okay? So it, it can be very different. How many of you are prepared? Okay, it's not, not that, do not have your typical style. If it's really, really bad, okay, if it gets really, really bad, Pastor Mel will be back next week, and if I'm not, you'll understand, okay? So uh, I want to talk to you about a to- topic that everybody deals with, so it's universal, um, and the topic is forgiveness, but the message is not necessarily about forgiving, it's about the benefits and the fruits of forgiveness. What do you get if you forgive? What do you get if you show mercy? What do you get if you show grace? What do you get if you leave stuff behind that you've been holding on to for a long time? So I've chosen to use a character from the Bible by the name of Joseph to make the point. And uh, Chuck Swindoll starts his book on the life of Joseph with the following illustration. If you could just look at the screens, it says, to err is human, to forgive is divine, and neither is Marine Corps policy. Okay? So do we have any Marines in the house this morning? Just raise your hand if you are active or former Marine. I got a couple. Okay? You don't have to listen. Okay? And, and we thank you for your service. Thank them for their service. We appreciate you. Thanks. Um, there's a story. I used to live in South Dakota. Anybody ever been there? They, they called me to interview at this church in Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, unfortunately, I had never heard of Rapid City, South Dakota. And they said, oh, it's where Mount Rushmore is. And I said to my wife, Mount Rushmore, yeah, that's the four heads, right? She goes, yes. I said, okay, well, Steve thought that was in another country. So I went and I interviewed, and uh, I went there and became their pastor. It was a totally different culture. Um, and uh, when I got there, once a year in August, they had this event in a town called Sturgis. Anybody here ever hear of Sturgis? All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, the year I was there was the 51st anniversary of the Sturgis Harley Rally. And uh, there were a million people and 750,000 motorcycles in a town the size of Homer City. (laughs) Honest. They sleep everywhere. Um, We rented out our backyard, and guys stayed in our backyard uh, for a week. And um, I loved the rally. I didn't like going to Sturgis. Sturgis was pretty raunchy, but seeing the bikes and everything was pretty cool. And I heard this story. Usually I'll preface a story with true story, okay? I'm not going to do that with this one because I can't prove it, but this is what I heard. 
Three, three mean-looking guys on motorcycles pulled into a truck stop's cafe where a truck driver, a little guy, why is it always a little guy? You know what I'm saying? It just seems unfair. Was sitting at the counter quietly eating his lunch. The three thugs saw him, grabbed his food, and laughed in his face. The truck driver didn't say a word. He got up, paid for his food, and walked out. One of the bikers, unhappy that they hadn't succeeded in provoking this little guy into a fight, bragged to the waitress, he sure wasn't much of a man, was he? The waitress replied, nah, I guess not. Then glancing out the window, she added, I guess he's not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over three motorcycles. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a great story, don't you think? Um, I'm going to talk to you out of the book of Genesis, chapter 41, and verse 51 and 52. This is kind of the theme verse of the crux of the message. And I think it's a really valuable message. Um, we hear a lot of teachings and sermons on how to forgive and the negative effects of not forgiving and how you hold yourself hostage and you become bitter and so on and so forth. And I wanted to go to the other angle, and I want to read to you uh, about this guy, Joseph, uh, Genesis 41. Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh and said, it is because God made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I like to start my sermons with praying um, because my sermons need help. Um, but today, I, I do want to share with you that pastors are uh, normal people like you. We happen to have a call to ministry, but we go through all the same things you go through in life. And uh, over the past 18 months, uh, I have six sisters and two brothers. Um, my, uh, I have two brother-in-laws that died of cancer in the last 18 months. I have a third brother-in-law that just finished uh, jaw surgery on... Um, his parotid gland, he had uh, to take part of his jaw out, part of his face, do a transplant, skin graft. Um, he's taking chemo and, uh, and radiation over the next month or so. And then um, Friday, I was working down in my shop, and uh, I have a wood shop in the basement, and my wife came home from work, she walked in the door, and uh, came to the basement, and she said, I have bad news. And I just looked at her, um, and she said, your sister Linda has breast cancer both sides, and it's in both sides of the lymph nodes. Um, they don't know what stage it's at. Uh, she'll know Monday how bad it is. And um, so that's the fourth family member in right about 17 months. And so we're kind of rocked. I hate cancer. I just got to tell you, I hate cancer. Um, and I, if you don't mind, let's, let's pray. Anybody here, I mean, just about everybody's affected by cancer. Am I right? You know, it's just somebody somewhere. And I do know that God heals cancer, but also he gives us the grace to bear up under it. So do you mind? Let's pray, okay? Father, we pray first for the message that it would be helpful to us. But secondly, Lord, I do pray for those that are suffering with cancer and struggling as family members. And I pray for Richard and Linda I pray for my sister Joan and sister Phyllis who've lost their husbands. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a miracle in their bodies. God, help us, uh, those that are in research, I pray they can, they can find a cure to all these different sicknesses that come from cancer. And 
Lord, we just pray that you would bless anybody here, that you would give them peace and comfort and help them to be able to function as, as well as possible, even in the midst of their pain. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, uh, it will help you to remember that Joseph's biography falls into three distinct categories. He lived to 110. How many of you want to live to 110? All right, there's like one person. I mean, I want to. I really would like to if I can still be like this. You know, maybe a little thinner, but that's really none of your business. <laughs> but if the last 10 are me like, not, you know, not, not, if I can't make you laugh, I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want 110 good ones. How many of you are here? And uh, so he lived 110. Uh, his first 17 years, you find in Genesis 30, during this time, Joseph's family was in transition. Everyone was unsettled and on the move. A low-level antagonism was brewing as his family clashed and argued in jealousy and hatred. So if you come from a dysfunctional family, um, you're very welcome here at the summit. Can I hear a yes? You know, we, we all get it. Now, maybe not all of you, but... I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because then you admit it in front of people you have a dysfunctional family. Um, I, I do, but it's just dysfunctional in a really weird way, okay? Not mean, just weird. You know, we have nine kids that are all, I'm not even close to the funniest person in the family, okay? That'll tell you. Some of you don't think I'm funny, so. so uh, secondly, <clears throat> he was 17 to 30. Genesis 37. This second segment occurs as Joseph reaches young manhood. It seems as though his life becomes out of control. He's enslaved. He's treated unfair. He's uh, prosecuted for a crime he didn't commit. He's imprisoned against his will and uh, doesn't find a way out for quite a long time. And then at 30 to 110 is Genesis 41. Joseph's last 80 years are... Uh, years of prosperity and reward under God's blessing. He had a classic opportunity to get even with those that had uh, treated him wrong, to ruin them forever, but he refused. Instead, he blessed, protected, and forgave. Now, you think that's a pretty awesome story? Okay, bow your heads, we're going home. Just kidding. Forgiveness is the key that can unshackle us from the past. As long as our minds are captive to the memory of having been wronged, they are not free to wish for reconciliation with the one who has wronged us. There are two great rewards that come from having a heart of forgiveness and a life of forgiveness. And they are this. Kenneth Pargamont and Mark S. Rye wrote a book on forgiveness and the fruits of forgiveness. And forgiveness offers the possibility of two types of peace. First, peace of mind. The potential healing of old emotional wounds. Secondly, peace with others. The possibility of new, more gratifying relationships in the future. And how many of you know, when we go to heaven, the only thing we're taking with us is our relationships. It's the truth. 
You can't take any of your stuff, no matter how cool it is. How many have some really cool stuff? You know, like really cool stuff. And you, you, you can't take it. You can't get to the Golden Gate and go, hey, you know, I, like I want to bring my dog. And think, I mean, I don't know if Peter meets you there, but if he does, he's going to go, we're canine free. Okay, now some of you theologically are going, that's not true, Steve. Dogs are in heaven. Okay, you deal with that on somebody else's dime. I don't have time right now, okay? <laughs> it's hard to imagine how many people live kind of captive to past hurts and wounds. Most people have something they are protecting. Forgiveness isn't easy, but it is rewarding. When it has run its course, it can be incredibly fruitful. Joseph had a coat of many colors, and most, most of you have heard about Joseph's coat of many colors. His father, um, Dolly Parton, sang a song. Do you guys remember? You guys know who Dolly Parton is? How many of you really like Dolly Parton? I really, really like Dolly Parton. You know, Jolene, jo- I'm not going to do it, okay? But I could, okay? I could. The first thing I want to talk to you about is the foundation of Joseph's pain. Clarence Edward McCartney once said, everyone's life has the makings of a, of a novel. Perhaps no life in the Bible reads more like a suspenseful and compelling novel than Joseph's. The roots of pain generally start in one of four areas. So how many of you here on a Sunday morning can memorize four words? Raise your hand if you can remember. Until everybody raises their hands, I keep going and going and going and going. All right, so look, some guys are out there going, look, dude, we're good. We surrender, okay? Four, four main emotions that can cause hurt that can put you into a position of not wanting to forgive. Okay, you ready? Remember these four words. Fear. Hurt, disappointment, and shame, all right? Those four things can cause us to put up a wall, change how we live, trust or not trust people, trust or not trust circumstances. So let's talk about them for a minute. Now, you understand, Joseph's life had like 17 major hits, 17 major hits. I mean, mean stuff. Like, people did really mean things to him. One guy he was in prison with, uh, he became good friends with. He promised him through a, through a, a prophetic um, interpretation of a dream that when he got out of prison, he would be incredibly prosperous. And when he got out of prison, he was com- uh, incredibly prosperous. And, he, and Joseph said, if this happens, the only thing I ask of you is that you remember me after you get out of prison and you help me get out of prison. And how many of you know, once people are out of sight, out of mind, and this man was very prosperous, he never, ever got back in touch with Joseph. How many of you can say, that would tick me off? No, no, no. Yes, you would. How many of you would say, just, uh, just say this, say, yes, Steve, it would tick me off. Okay? That would make me really mad, especially if he was prosperous and I was eating prison food. All right? So the foundations of Joseph's pain, fear, hurt, disappointment, shame, and Joseph got an overdose in every field. So I'm just going to talk about four things out of the 17 
that he got hit with. <clears throat> the first one is his brothers hated him. They had all these brothers, no daughters, just all sons. And I don't know about you, but my daughter has only boys. My oldest daughter has three sons. Na -na 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 -na. Some people got that. <laughs> and their, their dad is uh, military. He's in the Army, went to West Point. And they had their first child, and they named him Declan, and his middle name is Abram. And I thought, oh, wow, cool, and a, a Bible name. And I said, oh, wow, cool, you gave him a Bible name. She goes, no, Dad, he's named after a tank. I'm like, oh, okay. So he's the M1A1 Abram tank. Y'all hear? Second one's born. His name is Grady Patton. P-A-T-T-O-N. He's named after a tank. The third one they thought was a girl. And I said, okay, what are you going to do this time? If you have a girl, what are you going to name her? What's her middle name going to be? My daughter said Matilda. Did you're going to name a girl Matilda? She goes, I am. It's the only female tank in Army history. <laughs> Fortunately, he came out a boy, and his name is Eamon Walker, after the Walker tank. So I know what it is to have a family with just boys. All boys. And they hated their brother. Listen, Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. How many of you know he tattletailed on his brothers? That's never a good idea. Now, now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in an old age and he made an ornate robe for him. So then... Jo uh, Jacob said, Joseph, I want you to go back to your brothers and see how they're doing again. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at a place called Dothan. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us, what? Kill him and throw him into one of the pits and we will say a wild beast devoured him then let us see what become of his dreams. Joseph's brothers were not fools. They may have been really bad people, but they weren't fools. They knew that Joseph was daddy's favorite child. He was daddy's pet. And they hated him. And so they conspired to kill him. Now, how many of you know if someone conspires to kill you, that will bring about fear? Are you here? You know, I mean, my wife and I are kind of really into Dateline NBC. I know it's just us, but do I have a witness here? I love watching that show. And I, I figure it out. I never get it right, but I got it all figured out. And somebody's trying to kill somebody, and people are scared to death. So the first element of, for, of having to forgive someone is if they scare you or they cause you fear. And you can't trust them because they're either violent or they're manipulative. How many of you understand that? 
even in the literal, even in the figurative sense, but some of you understand it in the literal sense. Someone has caused you to live in fear. And that can cause you later on to not trust people in relationships. And that's, that's very common. Secondly, secondly, he had these, first he had these angry, jealous, and deceitful brothers. Their je- jealousy had turned to resentment and hatred. And they were going to kill him and throw him in a pit and then tell their father that he was eaten by wild beasts. Secondly, Joseph was rejected and emotionally abused, which brings about hurt. So we now have him on, with fear on steroids. Would you agree? Someone's going to kill you and throw you in a pit and take your coat, put blood on it, tell him you got killed by a wild animal. So Joseph was rejected and amused, uh, abused, which hurt him. Genesis 37. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. All right, let's stop for a second. Now some of you are here today and you're like, hey, that would be no big deal for me because I was a Marine or I was special forces. Or, dude, I work on a farm. I have been in a pit. (laughs) And I would figure it out. Because we live in Indiana County. All right? So a pit for us is like, yeah, whatever. You know, you're already going, yeah, man, I dig little holes in the side of it. I put my feet in, put my feet in again, dig a little hole. I keep going. And eventually I'd be out going, yeah, bring it on, pal. Bring it on. How many of you are here? Because some of you you already did that. I can tell. You're sitting there going, yeah, 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 I'd do that. I'd figure that out. The first thing they did was they took his, his robe, they threw him in the pit, and after that they sat down and had lunch. All their anger had made them hungry. It's amazing. No remorse, no guilt, just a scheming black heart full of hatred intending to hurt their brother. Third, Joseph was abandoned, which leads to disappointment. Genesis 37 again. As they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan. Now, his brother's in a pit. They rejected him. They heard him. They scared him. Now, listen. They raised their eyes and looked, and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. Wow, what an epiphany, you know? Hey, you know, let's not kill him and put him in a pit. Let's sell him. And his brothers listened to Judah. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up, lifted Joseph out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now I'm telling you, a chill goes up my spine when I read that these men, what these men did to their brother. In effect, they said, hey, Reuben's right. Let's not kill the kid. After all, he's a member of our family. We don't need his blood on our hands. Let's just dump him and sell him. Better yet, let's make some money in the process. They agreed to sell him for 20 shekels of silver, 
which was the equivalent of what they would pay for a crippled slave. So I'm saying that would disappoint me. First, they want to kill him. They scare him. They put him in a pit. They hurt him. And now they sell him to some travelers totally unknown. I don't know about you, but when I was 17, I did not ever want to be away from my family. Do I have a witness? I'd get homesick taking out the garbage. Okay, I just got to be honest with you. This guy sold him to a, 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 a traveling band of troubadours. And they took him, and they made him a slave. They turned him over to a group of total strangers. Fear, hurt, disappointment. We know them all too well. And listen, maybe you've not gotten the deal that Joseph got, but you all understand fear, hurt, disappointment. How many of you here get it? Right? We all understand that. Well, the fourth one is shame. And uh, Joseph was falsely accused, which led to shame. In Genesis 39, there is this woman who doesn't have a name in the Bible. She's just called Potiphar's wife. I understand the feeling because I have an older brother who's a really good basketball player, and he's six years older than me, and he played in college, and then I went to the same college after him. And for four years... Four years, I was Billy's little brother. And then when I went to get ordained as a minister, I had to sit behind, sit in front of these like 14 pastors that had been around forever. And I went in, and the, the director of the group said, you know, Steve, that's Bill's boy. <laughs> so my whole life, I was Billy's little brother and my father's son. Okay, I get that. And I don't have any problems with it, okay? None. I'm good. So there's this woman in the Bible. She doesn't have a name. She's just called Potiphar's wife. When Potiphar ret returned home, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar's wife told him, that Hebrew slave you brought us, this is Joseph, he came to me, tried to seduce me, and it happened as I raised my voice and screamed that he left and ran out of the room and I grabbed his coat beside me and he fled outside. Now it came about when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, that his anger burned. So Joseph master, Joseph's master took him, put him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were, confined, and he was there in jail. So he gets falsely accused of a crime, and he gets thrown in jail with common criminals. He's now a felon. Now, I don't know about you, but shame is kind of a trigger for me. How many of you do not like being embarrassed? Really? You know what I mean? I can't stand being embarrassed, and I speak in front of people. Makes no sense. I remember one time, I was living in California, and I, uh, I love to play softball. Okay? I was a wrestler in high school, a wrestler in college. And then after college for a while, so I was about 25, 26, I wrestled for some national teams, and it was a lot of fun, had a great time. But after about 25, 26, 27, there are no gatherings and leagues for wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, you can go to a friend's house and say, hey, you want to play catch? You know, you can throw the ball back and forth, but you can't go to a friend's house and go, hey, you want to wrestle? <laughs> right? I mean, because that's creepy. I mean, that's way creepy. 
all right? And you know, you don't go, you don't go in the, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, look in the paper and it goes, hey, wrestling for everybody. It's just, you got to give it up. So I was very competitive, so I plugged my energy into playing softball. And I played on three teams at a time. I played Tuesday, Thursday leg, a Monday, Wednesday leg, and then a Saturday leg. Played three, three five nights a week. Um, I had a blast. And uh, played with my brothers. I have six brother-in-laws and two brothers. And we picked up one player, and we had enough for our own team. And that was actually a pretty good team. Okay? Um, matter of fact, when my sisters got married, we had to watch the guy play before we said, okay. <laughs> all right? And you, you laugh, but it's the truth. All right? And uh, so I was in California, and I'm, I'm 55, and I'm going, you know what, man, I got to get out. I, gotta, I, you know, I still like to be competitive. I, I wanna play, I'm going to play on a softball team. I wonder how to get on a team. So I went online, you know, softball. So in California, you play softball year-round. It was January. And I'm like, I would love to play on a softball team in January. I think that's like the coolest thing in the world. So I go on the website, and it, and it has these brackets. You know, and they go up to 50 and up. And I'm like, that's perfect. And you just send in your name, and, and uh, you ask to be on a team, and then they send you back an email, and they ask you to be on a team, and you meet at a field, and you're on a team. So I thought, you know, I'd play for like the Over the Hill, or the Golden Boys, or something. You know what I mean? Like, so I, like within an hour, I get a, a hit back. And it's this guy, and he goes, hey, Steve, you know, we saw you wanted to be on a team, can you give me some background of what you've, you know, what you've done? Well, you know, when, you, uh, when you're 55, you know, the older you get, the better you were. <laughs> right? And I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good as once as I ever was. So I kind of embellished my credentials a little. All right, I've asked forgiveness. Pastor, you lied? I didn't lie. I exaggerated for effect. I mean, they didn't know I was 55. I just, I, well, back in the day, I played A-ball. I played fast pitch. I played with Rising Sun in, in uh, Rising Sun, Maryland. And we, uh, we were a national caliber team. I played second base. You know, I'm writing all this stuff down. I've been playing for years and da-da-da-da-da. And the guy hits me back and he goes, great, man. We'd love to have you on our team. And I'm thinking, you know, 55, I'm, you know, yeah, I should be fine. And uh, he says, as a matter of fact, we play tonight. Can you play tonight? I'm like, yeah, I can play tonight. Where you? So I go and I meet him at this field. Well, I'm thinking I'm going to walk up on a bunch of gray-haired guys, you know, that can barely, you know, and it's slow pitch. Okay, look, I don't want to play anything where somebody's throwing something at me fast. So I show up, and I don't see anybody under, I don't see anybody over 35. Three-field complex. I'm thinking, man, where, you know, where are these? Did I get the wrong place? So I'm on field A, so I go to field A. I say, hey, I need to talk to Andy. And they say, oh, Andy's right over there. So I went over, you know, I'm in, I'm in flip-flops because you live in California. And I got my bag, okay? How many of you have ever played softball? If you have your own bag, you the man. Okay, I had an Easton bag with a bat in it. Oh, Yes. It was my son's Little League bat, but it was a bat. <laughs> and my glove, batting glove, yes. And spikes, Nikes. So I show up, and Andy looks at me, and he's like, 
Yeah, it gives you that look like, well, okay, because we only have nine guys. Ten guys play softball. How many of you don't know anything about softball? Raise your hand. Okay, stay with me because you'll understand this. You will. You're going to understand the shame. Okay? So he looked at me. Well, they got nine guys. Well, you know, so what? And, you know, we'll pick him up for tonight. We don't have to keep him. You know, it's kind of like Joseph. We'll sell him to a, you know, for 20 pieces of silver. We can get 20 pieces of silver for this guy in the spring draft. I know we can. Okay? So they, he says, uh, yeah, you, you can play for us. He said, you know, just get ready and we'll put you in. I said, okay. So I put my shoes on, get my glove, you know, and um, I'm getting warmed up. I start to walk to play catch. And <clears throat> my shoes have been in my bag so long that the right spike um, was no longer glued to the sole of the shoe. So the right shoe went. <laughs> so I'm walking over to play catch. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. And everybody on the team's under 35. And I walk up. <laughs> And I am so embarrassed. How many of you think you should be embarrassed? That's embarrassing. And they're all looking at me like, you've got to be kidding me. Andy, who is this? He's like, it's Joseph, 20 pieces of silver. We're, we're going to keep him till the spring, okay? So I'm catching, playing catch and... <laughs> embarrassed. Then they make the line up. Okay, if you don't know anything about baseball, in slow pitch softball... There are two positions you don't want to be put in. You don't want to bat 10th. If you bat 10th, that means you really stink, Murray. Okay, Murray, welcome back. Hey, welcome Murray back. Yeah. Those of you that don't know, Murray was in a really bad accident, uh, hit while riding her bike. Today's her first day back. She gets to listen to me. I hope it doesn't hurt when you laugh, okay? All right, we're good, okay. So, I'm the last batter, and the second thing you want to make sure doesn't happen to you when you play slow-pitch softball, you don't want to be catcher. <laughs> and falump, falump, falump was catcher. Because I'm sure they all got together and went, put him behind the plate, man. You don't have to run. You know, you don't have to go catch anything. Don't put him out there. Oh, my goodness. So... They show the lineup. I'm like, 10th and catcher. Okay, this is not going to go well. They're just, because they only had nine, so I'm 10. Just as I got ready to go on the field, the other shoe came undone. <laughs> so this is me. Fleek, 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 fleek. And it's like, it's like running in a fli the, the flippers, swimming flippers. So I'm like, okay. And these guys are good ball players. If you know anything about softball, this is an A-leg. I signed, and I found out later that I didn't hit the 55 and, uh, 50 and over button, I hit the open button, which meant anybody can play, which, Marie, is a bad thing, okay, really bad. So they put me in a catcher. I caught the whole game, batted three times. My first time up, I, I, and I can hit, you know. I took one down the right field line, and I got a double. Then I ran around the bases. <laughs> Right? How many of you know this is very shameful? <laughs> and I'm going around the bases, got the second, batted my second time, flew out the left, batted my third time, and I brought chalk down the left field line. So I went to right, and I went left. And in, in softball, that means you can hit. Okay, Marie, that, that means you can hit. 
So the game is over. We win. Andy comes to me, and I'm thinking, it's fine. Let me down easy. Let me down <laughs> easy. And he comes up to me and goes, Steve, the team has voted. They like you. And you can hit. We'd like you to join our team. That's cool. <laughs> and so I said, uh, he said, you want to join? I'm like, yeah. He said, okay. So we play Thursday. We'd like you to come back on one condition. <laughs> can you afford a new pair of shoes? <laughs> yes, I can. So I came back on Thursday. I had a brand new pair of high top black spikes on. Steve was ready with my bat bag. Still a little league bat, but they don't know that. I come back, and I, and I warm up, and I'm no longer goofy. And I start warming up and throwing, and I go look at the lineup. I'm batting eight. That's good. Marie, that's really good. You moved up two slots. Huge. And, are you ready for this? All five-six of me is playing first base. For those, of you, for those of you that know baseball, know that is a huge, huge risk. So I tell you all that to make you laugh. <laughs> and to say, I didn't care about, I went home, when I went home, I, after the first time my wife said, how was it? I went, I told her the whole story. She went, holy cow, that's really embarrassing. I said, yeah, it is. She goes, are you going back? I said, you better believe I'm going back. I was two for three. She goes, really? Aren't you embarrassed? I went, uh-uh. Not when you go two for three in flippers. And I loved batting eighth, and I loved playing first. Joseph, falsely accused, put in prison, walking to his cell. I shouldn't be here. I don't belong here. I'm embarrassed. I didn't do that crime. The worst kind of crime. How many of you are here? He's hurt. He's fearful. He's disappointed. He's embarrassed. He's shameful. But yet, read the rest of the story. Two words change the rest of this story. But God. But God. This guy had every reason to say, I am not coming back to field A with Andy and his boys because it's too embarrassing. I am not going to be nice to my brothers. I'm not going to be kind to my brothers. I'm gonna, and listen, now he was in a position where he could have him killed if he wanted to. But God, he got out of prison. He became top dog, top dog in Potiphar's wheelhouse. He ran all the money, all the all the government, he was the man. Secretary of State. He called the shots. First, he had to forgive, and he forgave his brothers. He said, you know what? I'm not going to hold it against them. He had a chance one time to have them in prison for stealing, and he didn't do it. They thought for sure he was going to throw them in prison. He didn't do it. So here's the first fruit of forgiveness, humility. I want to share something with you. You can't have the fruit of forgiveness without God's miraculous hand intervening in your life. 
It's humbling. Tons of people that don't know Christ try hard as they can to get through their hurt, fear, disappointment, and embarrassment and shame without God in their life. And I'm just going to tell you something. It doesn't work. As a matter of fact, he's 30 years old. He's at the top of his game. He's got the signet ring that if he wants something done, all he does is put wax on a piece of paper, shove his ring into it, and it's done. And this is what, he, this is what we learn about him. He's 30, and it's time to start a family. Dad's named their children. So his wife said, what do you want to call him? And he said, my first son, are you ready? My first son, my first child, I want to name him Manassas. Where's Manassas come from? Manassas comes from a Greek word, or a Hebrew word, meaning compassion. But it also has to do with the Hebrew root, to forget. And he said, I want to name him Manassas because God has caused me to forget all my pain and my father's household. See that? Now, it doesn't mean he had amnesia. How many of you know what amnesia is? It's what you get before your first final in college. (laughs) Are you here? I don't think he said that was going to be on the test. You, You didn't say this was going to be. Yes, I did, and you just didn't do it. He didn't get amnesia. No. Here's what happened. God did a miracle, a miracle of healing, so that he would be humble and say, I couldn't do this on my own. Listen, you can't check that old hurt in a godly way without godly help. Does that make sense? So he says, God, and Manasseh means to forget. It comes from a root uh, word which is Nasha. By naming his son Manasseh, Joseph was saying, God has caused me to forget. He didn't get an amnesia. Here's what happened. How many of you here have ever been stung by a bee? And if you do, what's the first thing you try and do? Kill the bee. No, get the stinger out, right? Because if you can get the stinger out, then the poison comes out and you only have what's left. Are you here? So this is what God did. Throughout Joseph's life, he made him a person that he would take the stinger out. Now, that takes a miracle. You may be sitting here today going, yeah, well, you don't know what happened to me. You know what? I don't. I have no clue what happened to you. But I do know this. Through a miracle, you can name your first baby Manasseh. Can you you imagine him in the the, uh, birthing room? They didn't have birthing rooms. They had like... Mangers. (laughs) He's in manger number seven, and they had pulled the curtain. He's with his wife. He said, Joseph, what do you want to name the baby? He said, I want to name him Manasseh. Because God has caused me to forget all of my pain and even my father's household, which means even the stuff my brothers did to me. And he grabbed a hold of his wife's hand. And this new baby came into the world. And he looked at his wife. He probably had tears in his eyes. He's holding her hand, and he says to her this. He said, baby... I have been Manasseh. I don't have any, any bitterness. God took all that. God's just taking all that junk away. It's a miracle. 
How many of you are glad there is but God in the Bible? And now he has a second baby. And he's with his wife. And the second thing you get, if you have a heart of forgiveness, the fruit of forgiveness is stability. You get stability. How many of you like stability? How many of you are are very nervous if you're riding in a car with someone who's unstable? (laughs) Right? Hey, it's my brother. He's going to take you back to the airport. Don't worry about it. He's a little unstable. I'm good. Uber. I'm going to Uber. All right? Stability. We all want stability. The second son's name was Ephraim. And he said it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I want you to listen real close. By naming his second son Ephraim, the word means twice fruitful. Real quick, listen to this. It is so powerful. He said, listen, I'm going to name him Ephraim. They pulled the curtain on the manger. Doctors and nurses are all wherever doctors and nurses go. He grabs his wife's hand and she said, Joseph, what do you want to call him? I want to call him Ephraim. Because you know, Ephraim means twice blessed. God has made me fruitful in the land of my pain. Oof, that's huge. You know what that means? We don't have to leave here. We don't have to run. We don't have to say, I'll never love again. We don't have to say, this town stinks. We don't have to say, I'm going to go shop in Addison, Pennsylvania, by the Maryland border, because when I shop here at Kmart or Walmart and, and uh, Giant and Martins, I might run into you-know-who, and if I do, it's going to be ugly right there in the peach aisle. I'm going to... Are you following me? Guys... We're free. We can be healed. Listen, he can make you prosperous. You don't have to end your marriage. Listen close. You have to end your marriage. He can make you fruitful and bless you in the land of your suffering. Man, I wish I'd named my kids Manassas and Ephraim. Are you here? I want you to hear my heart real quick. You've been hurt. You've been disappointed. You've been fearful. You've been embarrassed. You've been ashamed. Someone has hurt you. And God wants to Manasseh you. He wants to Ephraim you. He wants to take the stinger out. He wants to take the poison out. And he wants to bless you in the land where it happened and you get to stay Genesis 50 Joseph's father dies his name is Jacob he dies Joseph's getting old his brothers get together when Jacob dies and says we don't want to go to the funeral because we don't want to see Joseph so what if we get to the funeral and Joseph has us killed they lived with this for decades how many of you know when you're Manasseh and Ephraim, you don't live with it? They do. Are you here? They know what they did. They live with it. And they all decide, well, let's go to the funeral, see what they get there. 
and they just fall at his feet and they're bowing before him and they say, please don't kill us. And he looks at them. He says, guys, guys, hey, get up. Get up. Listen, everything you did, you meant it for evil. But I need to tell you something. I got Manasseh and Ephraim. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Get up, man. He said, I'm going to give you a house. I'm going to give you land. Holy cow, I get goosebumps when I think about it. Who does that? Who does that? Only someone who knows God's mercy and God's grace, and they've been humbled, and they're now stable. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes for just a moment. Who here would say, you know what, Pastor Steve, I do not know God's stability and God's humility. I've never accepted Christ into my heart. I've never been Manasseh. I've never been Ephraim. And I would really like to give my heart to Christ today and ask him to take the poison out. I'd like him to also prosper me and bless me in the place where I've been hurt. So if you want to give your, hand, your life to Christ, that's all you do. Just want you to raise your hand real high and say, I want you to pray for me, Steve. I want that in my life. I want to give Christ my life and know what it is to have that kind of peace of mind and peace of heart. Does anybody here raise your hand? Say, that's me. God bless you. Somebody else. Say, that, that's, that's me. I, I, I need that. I want you to stand with me if you would. Just stand up if you would. We're going to close. say a couple things to you. If you lifted your hand, there's a little card in the seat in front of you. Just take that card, fill it out. It says salvation on it. Just fill it out. You can also uh, do that online. Uh, If you just text salvation to 555-888 and uh, fill fill in the blanks and we'll get back with you. But how many of you here would say, Steve, I got a little bit of poison in me. Still got a little poison. Still want to run. But let me tell you, if you do run, you're going to run with a limp. Are you here? How many of you would say, hey, let's, let's just pray together and ask God to take the stinger out and allow me to say, God, prosper me in the place of my pain. That'd be a nice thing for it to happen this week in August. Sound fair? Sound fair? Say something or we're staying. All right, let's pray together. Father, I pray you bless those who lifted their hand. I pray, Lord, that as they ask you to come into their life, you would change their hearts, you'd take the poison out, and you also would bless them in the place where, they, where the pain happened. I pray for all of us. God, there's a lot of us that are walking around, and God, it's hard to be humble because we're still mad. God, it's hard to be Ephraim because... We just can't prosper emotionally, physically, financially, because we want to run. I pray you'd heal us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.